0: Welcome to the Mortise and Tenon Magazine podcast, where we're celebrating historic furniture making. This is episode number sixty-five. I'm Mike Uptograph,
1: and I'm Joshua Klein. And we have uh, so a little bit of news. We have issue fifteen is uh, well no longer at the printer. I mean, no. it's at the printer maybe as I speak, but not for long. Yeah, uh, it's it's heading out into the world, uh, sending out all, to all the subscribers. Uh, we get, you know, a handful of boxes at at our shop here in Maine. Um, and then the rest goes to distributors and the warehouse and all sorts of places. The printer is sending it out. Um, and they're, they uh, were writing to us and they said, oh man, this issue turned out great. We're super excited. I'm like, (laughs) I love that. Our printer really cares. Yeah. Really cares about how this thing comes together. And that's just... For us, we will not work with someone who doesn't care. You know, right. that's just so to hear our printer saying, "Yeah, man, this issue really looks this is sweet. a good one." Yeah, <laughs> we're we're very <laughs> excited about that. So, I they said I, it's possible that as of this recording, we might see the co- our copies today. I, yeah. don't, I don't know, but it might, maybe tomorrow. I don't know.
0: Yeah, we're hoping for today. Our printer is right next door in New Hampshire, uh, so it's not very far. You know, we could get there in. You know, three and a half hours drive time. So hopefully we'll see those today and we'll get to actually see the physical product for the first time. We always like that. It's like when a baby's born.
1: It's like know? that. Yeah. Yeah. Only paper. Not Maybe. as cute, but... Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we also just got back from uh, Amana, Iowa, uh, from the Handworks event. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't know what Handworks is, you can just turn this podcast off and you're not yeah. interested in hand tools, apparently. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> because... Uh, Handworks is the place to be. Yep. It is a huge event, um, intentionally located central, uh, in the is, middle
0: of the U. If you threw a dart at the middle of the U.S., you'd pretty much hit Amana, Iowa.
1: Yeah, and so that's a, a good. That's one good reason for it to be there. Uh, people can travel from all over uh, to be able to meet in this this spot. Lots of room to spread out, and it's just. Hand tool junkies everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, the enthusiasm is just infectious. Everybody's so excited about hand tools, and you know, you don't, you not you're not usually like trying to convince someone that a hand tool is a good idea. They're all debating about right. which hand tool is the best and yeah. how many of this kind of tool do you have. It's just a crazy event. Two days, two solid days, and uh, we've been back for what a little over a week now, but we're still kind of mm-hmm. getting back on track Whoa. okay yeah overwhelmed at just so much uh discussion and and camaraderie yeah
0: yeah i mean from from what i gather and they they never release official numbers on you know visitors mostly because it's impossible to track down that number it's a free event uh basically they ask that you register in advance but Anyone visiting the Amana colonies, just they wander over, they go through. So who knows how many people were actually there, but it is in all likelihood the largest hand tool festival in the world. Yeah, this is the big one. Totally. Um, and so the last, the last handworks was in 2017. So um, which was a little while ago. That was a while ago. I don't know if you remember 2017, but the world was much different then. <laughs> I feel like we were. We were very young and naive back in 2017, kind of all of us. But um, so the, the Abrahams, Jamil and Father John, who own Benchcrafted, you know, top of the line workbenches, right? The best mm-hmm. bench gear you can buy. Um, but they're, they're the ones who usually, they, they put this show on. This is a labor of love of theirs. They don't profit from it. They don't get anything from it except, you know, the thrill of the event. Um, and and, we, and the
1: admiration of their the callings. admiration
0: exactly. I mean, they do get that because we we are uh, very grateful yeah. to them for putting up with all of us and and all that they have to do to make it happen. But they never um, they don't want to commit to saying it will happen every other year. And so the sense is that every hand works might be the last hand works, which makes people think, oh gosh, I better get to it. Yeah, And if
1: so if you weren't there, you might you never might. go. You might never experience. <laughs> this might
0: have been your last chance. Yeah,
1: but don't despair because there's a possibility.
0: Yeah, it may happen again you in might two be
1: years. Be able to experience it.
0: Uh, but as I said, the last one was in 2017, and you may say that's more than two years ago, and you are right. Um, 2017, the event happened, huge success, and they, uh, the Abrahams, decided they wanted to take a year off and push it a year further just so they don't get, you know, stuck in a rut of doing it every two years, and just to mix things up a little bit. And so, of course, that year would have been 2020, which, as we know, massive global events in one place were not happening. So they said, okay, we'll try 2022. And in 2022, um, especially in the early months, there were still uh, travel issues with people, especially coming from Europe. And so they said, let's try for 2023. So... It happened.
1: Yeah, man. Oh, <laughs> it was, it was great. so good. Yeah, uh, everybody there was so anxious to to get back together after these this yeah six years time, time, this little six time years away of waiting.
0: Um, yeah, and so in 2017, Joshua was not able to go to Handworks. He had a very good reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounded maybe like an excuse, but it turned out to be a very good reason. That my, being, my
1: child was being born. Yes, <laughs> uh, which is funny because so he actually was born. Um, on the Saturday of the event right. in 2017. And uh, so it was a really good thing that I was not at Handworks. Yep. Uh, my wife really appreciates that. Yeah. Um, but was, it, was, so it was funny because I had several people at the event saying, so how long ago was it? Was it like three years ago, four years ago? And I pointed at my son who was mm-hmm. running by. I said, he was just coming out. He was born today, <laughs> six years ago. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, six years ago, crazy.
0: And so uh, for that event, we were only up to issue two of the magazine. Mm -hmm. We had one, two. We had, I think, the Foundations video, and we had stickers, and we had T-shirts. Stickers. Yeah. Yeah, man. So I had taken, uh, we have two workbenches that I loaded on the roof of our minivan. I had an 19th century chest over drawers filled with uh, back issues, or, well, back issues, those two issues. The 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 only Cases of issues. And uh, had issues in the in the trunk, and um, t-shirts and all that stuff. And then I had one of those um, trailer hitch platforms <laughs> with the big dry bag filled with mostly our stuff. Our our like clothing got put on the on the hitch, so the magazines could be safe yeah, in the right. <laughs> and I brought some hand tools along for doing demonstrations. And, and
1: somehow you. Your wife and kids were they also crammed also in fit. between the magazines.
0: Yeah. Five people in there, <laughs> and we we did a road trip, and we went out to Amana, and it was it was wonderful. But I came back. I think I was a little bit shell shocked when I came back to report to Joshua how the event had gone because uh, it was it was madness. It was so many people, and they were all so interested. Um, and we've, we've done shows and events before. It, at that point, we had done shows and events before, but I had not seen anything like that. Yeah,
1: not like that.
0: So uh, we, we've kept saying, you know, as 2020 happened, and then later we're like, we will be back when they do it again. And so yeah. uh, this was the year for that. Um, so a quick history of the Amana colonies for those who are interested. Like, why on earth... Are you out in the middle of nowhere in Iowa doing this? Well, this place is really interesting. Um, I think of uh, the Amana colonies as kind of, they, they were kind of like industrial shakers. Uh, it was this group of Germans in, in the 18th century who they had some very uh, nuanced, we shall say, religious beliefs that led to them being persecuted and eventually fleeing Germany, They moved to upstate New York, which, again, that's where kind of shakerism took root in the United States. Uh, And then they found that even there they weren't accepted. So a group of them headed west to Iowa, and they decided to purchase a whole bunch of land. Like That's right now, bad.
1: Yeah. That's bad when you're like yeah. on the outskirts and even the outskirts people outskirts, are like, you're too weird. Yeah, keep too moving. weird.
0: And they're like, let's keep moving west. I
1: actually did not know that story. Huh.
0: Yeah, so they ended up buying, I believe it's 26,000 acres in hmm. Iowa, which is still owned by the, um, I don't know if it's a nonprofit now of the Amana colonies. So uh, if you've heard of uh, like Amana Furniture, the furniture made there is made from trees that they've harvested from their own woods. Yeah. Still. It's it's, amazing. it's kinda cool.
1: Or but, Amana refrigerators. Yeah.
0: So yes. Uh Amana refrigerators, washers. Also and made from the
1: trees on their property. On the- <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that that's another interesting thing. So this group of people considered, you know, they they built textile mills and, and um linen mills and they it started the, I think it's called the Amana Refrigeration Company in like the 20s or 30s. Eventually, that was bought by Raytheon, and they started making washers and dryers and all kinds of stuff on the Amana name because it had gotten hmm. a, a reputation for quality. So the Amana colonies are a really interesting place. So today, it's, it's not like Colonial Williamsburg, where it's kind of uh, overseen by A group or organization it's its own thing Um, the Amana colonies there's a series of little towns um, but uh, they are private towns with you know this grid of streets and these historic old buildings some of which are very beautiful and so there's like restaurant chocolate shop uh, clock maker private residence and and that's kind of how the streets are laid out a big historic barn and then private residence and hotel, so it's it's kind of this mix of, um, of business, you know, of of little shops, quaint little shops, historic buildings, private residences, and that's where this event is held in one of the Amana colonies, and so um, the event is split up in venues. There's kind of three primary venues where there were different vendors, and I believe at last count there are something like a hundred vendors.
1: Yeah unbelievable yeah huge uh,
0: so people you know lost art press and fine woodworking and you know all kinds of tool, tool makers tool dealers tool schools, makers
1: schools
0: yeah uh, it's just from all goes over
1: goes on and on and on and again remember this is a hand tool woodworking event yes so a hundred vendors at a hand yep. tool work woodworking event is just crazy
0: nothing bluetooth actuated nothing laser guided
1: nothing laser guided
0: i i like not amazing? even things you could plug in in fact, I'm pretty sure that uh, that's one of the things that uh, is sent out to us. Some of the restrictions on tools—they're like nothing that you can plug in. I mean, if
1: oh for if, selling this, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So it's it's like if it's not clear what Handworks is about, yeah, you can't plug the thing in.
1: Yeah, so, exactly.
0: Uh, it's a uh, it is a very memorable event. Um, but for this event, we had some. Um, some logistics some logistics
1: yeah I mean we had so uh, let's let's see when was this this was in uh, 2019 or no I don't know few years ago Mm -hmm. we had to shift a lot of the way that we've been shipping things we kind of had to rework some things and then not too long ago what like a year ago or so we ended up shifting over to a fulfillment center yeah um in wisconsin yeah and so all of our inventory moved out to this place yeah and so
0: right in the middle of cow country like you i it it smells like cows
1: (laughs) (laughs) But, but we promised that the magazines that the magazines
0: you, do not smell like no. cows, but everything else does in the area. It's, so, it's a beautiful area.
1: So, um, so we had to shift all of our inventory over there, and which worked out perfectly for this event because mm-hmm. it's not that far away from this, yeah, you know, this kind of thing. If, as in fact, it's kind of ironic because if we had to get inventory for an event in Maine, we would have to have stuff freighted back shift, up to shipped us to, from
0: Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, so yeah we had to, there were a lot of logistics to get figured out and grace who runs the show around here okay. she keeps m and going and lets us just chatter on a podcast and right. you know write things on the blog and the dispatch and things um she had so much legwork to do to, to get the all of the pieces to come together for this event that we're doing um she had to coordinate with uh, our fulfillment center We had to figure out how we were going to transport, how we were going to get a booth set up, how we were going to make all of these things come together. We also shipped (laughs) a bunch of t-shirts. Yeah. Five boxes.
0: Our our goal for the show was to give away t-shirts. These were discontinued t-shirts that were sitting in the fulfillment center. And we said, let's let's just bring them to the show. Let's give them out. Yeah. And they never made it.
1: Yeah, they never (laughs) made it. So uh, long story, but yeah. yeah, we had to we had to ship them out, and they got stuck in Massachusetts, and it's a whole
0: yeah. So
1: sad, bitter. Yeah, memory. as
0: as we speak, uh, hopefully uh, the um, the the people working in the Amana Furniture and Clock Shop are all wearing yeah. mortise and tenon T shirts. It's the
1: new uniform, and they've
0: outfitted their whole families in M and T.
1: Yeah, exactly,
0: but. Uh, so yeah, to to kind of figure out logistically how to get everything out there, how to get us out there, uh, we connected with a friend who I met in 2017 at The Last Handworks, Ed Bovier. He's uh, the village Woodwright. If you are on social media, that's, that's what he calls his business. And he's just outside Chicago. And he and his wife Susie very graciously offered to put us up, help us out.
1: Um, and he even built a bench for a show bench for us for the event two benches actually uh and a big backdrop and that sort of thing because we built a big wooden bench backdrop situation where we have these two benches we they they break down really nicely we can load them in a minivan we can bring them to shows however we are flying yeah you know we flew into chicago as and they're nine feet long
0: so it's not like we're Checking them, or they something. didn't fit in my guitar case. No, yeah, so it's my uh, we had item. we had
1: Ed build us um, these two workbenches, or they look like workbenches. They're kind of big tables uh, with a big backdrop. So it really worked out so well to have Ed building these things. Then we were able to meet up with him at his house. He even graciously hosted us for a whole evening, yep. um, fed us. Yeah, so made sweet. us
0: breakfast. Um, it, it was really nice to hang out with them. um Ed's. Uh, Ed's father-in-law has traveled all around the world and he has this case of artifacts that uh, the Joshua's kids were just staring in this case mm. and and Ed was saying point anything there pull it out and I'll uh, tell, tell you the story of yeah. it and it was it was really neat. Um, so we were there that evening after I had driven to Wisconsin to load up and come back uh, we watched the the full moon rise from Ed's backyard which is really you know we're right outside chicago um surprising that uh, you know i guess we were 15 20 miles out but Mm -hmm. still we could see the stars and the moon it was beautiful um so the next day we we took off for amana it's about a a four hour drive if Mm -hmm. you go the most direct route would you just (laughs) let it go
1: i didn't know we were
0: So this is why technology can mislead you. But uh, we ended up not taking the most direct route, but it was the most scenic route.
1: And there were no tolls.
0: No tolls. We paid no tolls uh, at all. Uh, We were just doing the checkerboard wandering through cornfields. We also found the most interesting little diner uh, where we stopped for lunch. It's (laughs) one of these places that is like three sheds put together and you go inside and there's slot machines in the back and this bar on one side. And it was pretty good food. As by the, uh, they had a certificate, uh, several certificates lined up about how good their food is. And the French, fry, French fries were voted the third best in town. I was surprised that there were two other competitors for French fries, because I Even didn't, in the town. There's nothing else in the town. Um, but uh, everything else was was quite good. Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff you get to experience when you tell your phone to guide you not onto toll highways.
1: Okay, so anyways, <laughs> we got <laughs> we got to Amana, um, and we were able to connect with so many people we hadn't seen in a long time. You know, yeah. it's just so interesting. I mean, it, for, I'm trying to think of the last woodworking show we did, but it was
0: 2019. Yeah, I think I mean, which it was, one it was um, though? But it was Lee Nielsen Open House. Yeah, it must in have July.
1: been. And you know, for so many of these. Um, You know, in the woodworking uh, publishing world and tool making world, um, a lot of us were, it's not a huge circuit, but there are these woodworking shows that happen. And so a lot of us, we do get to see each other, you know, a couple times a year or whatever, at least. And as we're, you know, for those of us who are doing a lot of those shows, it's sort of a regular like, hey, how's it going? And how was the last thing? And it's sort of catching up. And to have that that regular interaction uh, just cut off yeah for several years was so startling so you know we just weren't sure we weren't sure what it was going to be like um but it was just amazing to show up and it was like you know like boom all back yeah everybody was there everybody was pumped hugs everywhere uh check out this stuff how's the business everybody's kids up. were
0: taller <laughs> with that's mustaches and was yeah, just like, right. wait a minute what happened how did that happen
1: yeah so uh it was just so awesome to be able to see everybody there um mm-hmm. but i mean it was even you know we showed up and we saw people as they were kind of rolling in the, the vendors as we were kind of catching up but the whole event itself when well, we didn't see much many of them after yeah. that it was just yeah after that first
0: evening where we arrived we we didn't really get to see anyone except the people in our immediate vicinity in the tent mm-hmm. um uh both Joshua and I on Saturday we we took some time to wander as much as we could, which,
1: which was is like 20 minutes 20
0: minutes of like running like okay you jogging between venues. I could not get into the barn because um, on Saturday morning Roy Underhill uh, gave a keynote mm-hmm. and uh, which he typically does at handworks and you could not get near the barn. They had big loudspeakers outside. Uh, so everybody outside could hear. But it was like 15 deep uh, going up to the barn. And yeah. then inside the barn, the barn, if yeah. you would get in there, you'd be like a sardine, unable to move.
1: So, Yeah, it, it was interesting. I was thinking about, with all this old timber framing we've been doing, I was thinking <laughs> about the flooring. That's a lot of weight the, all in the joists, barn. Yeah. And all of the people packed so tight. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, man, yeah, I don't know. I'd be curious to look load. under there and see how that's framed. Yeah.
0: See the flex,
1: <laughs> um, but I, yeah. I'm, so I got an opportunity to talk with a handful of people. Um, uh, Matt Bickford was one of them that I just was really curious to see how um, he and his family are doing and uh, catching up with him. And then my good friend Don Williams was there, and we got to catch up. Um, all of the, you know, uh, Ben from Fine Woodworking, Mike Pekovic uh, from Fine, able to catch up with them. The woodworking schools. One of the schools that I was well I guess you would it's a it's an organization facilitating schools mm-hmm. one that I was just so intrigued by and we've actually had uh, interactions with them already because we're very like-minded is the Sloyd experience yes uh, really cool institution you should look up uh, the Sloyd experience and check out what they're doing basically they're taking you know this Sloyd movement this you know Otto Solomon's vision for um, educational Sloyd Sloid means craft. So it's this Swedish development uh, in the early 20th century um, that was talking about, there's like vocational school, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's. I want my kid to get a job in the trade. So send them off to do this work. But then there's educational sloid, educational craft. And that is about uh, individual personal moral development right it's making not just teaching them stem mm-hmm. <laughs> or something right. but it's actually making them well-rounded people who are able right. to use their hands and understand principles about how to be a decent person uh and, and not just how one would but to become that kind of person through a disciplined handcraft that's the Sloyd movement. So, you know, of spoon carving, and they talk about Sloyd and Sloyd this, and yeah. it's like a Sloyd knife, you know? Right. And a lot of people don't really understand, don't know the history of what that word is even connected to. It's this educational reform. Mm-hmm. It's saying, hey, we need to have our kids doing crafts, doing sewing, doing woodworking, doing pottery, or whatever the, the craft is. Our kids need to know how to do these things for their own personal development. So, the Sloyd experience, um, was founded to sort of rekindle that and get that program, that curriculum, out into schools. Yeah. Usually, it's private schools, or they were talking about homeschool co-ops and mm-hmm. different things. They're trying to spread this curriculum around so that people can be, um, so that kids can grow up right. knowing how to use their hands.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting with the Sloyd movement, which actually is still. I, I believe it's in sweden they still every public school student goes through a sloid uh, term around the eighth grade i believe where they're given knives and they're taught to safely use them and they're taught to to do simple uh handcrafts and things like that and it's still part of their their education mm-hmm. um but it's also interesting how the Sloyd movement had parallel movements in the united states where um people were seeing the fact that moving, centralizing um, production and moving people into factories was uh, to our detriment in the fact that all these skills were being forgotten and lost. And so uh, there were these movements to educate young, younger people and to like have woodworking clubs and to try and have woodworking curriculum that would... Uh, allow the teaching of these hand skills, and not just so the skills wouldn't be lost, but because they sensed that people were losing something of their moral fiber by being uh, specialized in that way, by being put into manufacturing basically as one cog in the machine. So to make a well-rounded person, not just with skills, but with with. Uh, morals and virtues mm-hmm. they were wanting to teach the manual
1: arts they were wanting to teach handcraft right and and again i think a lot of people might be thinking oh yeah like shop class and you know n- n- no not actually it so a lot of what the mentality with shop class was kind of gearing you up for vocational yes, training. yes getting it's, you into a trade it's pragmatic it's mm-hmm. teaching them these skills so that they can get a job mm-hmm. that's not what the Sloyd movement is about right uh, so it was just a, such a cool thing to see this curriculum developing and being spread out. And they said they're just, I can't remember, they're saying that when they release a, a new course or whatever, it it sells out within half an hour mm-hmm. or something. Like there's yeah. way more demand than there is supply for this kind of curriculum and these, these programs. Um, so I don't know. We were talking with them and just thinking about, yeah. we've been brainstorming for a while. How can we do this kind of thing? How can we spread this vision around and i don't know you we were very inspired by what they were doing yeah,
0: we've been taking notes um because you know if you imagine uh, we, we hear from people all the time and this is exactly what you know we feel that woodworkers should be doing uh who they say i'm i want to go into my local public school and i want to start a, a class or i want to go to my local homeschool co-op and i want to start doing a a woodworking thing, you know, once a month or Mm -hmm. once a week or something like that. And they're taking the skills that they have and they want to share it with kids to open up the door, you know, uh, open up these kids' minds to what is possible. Uh, But if you can imagine trying to start something like that in a school without a skilled woodworker uh, is you know, near impossible. So yeah. the question is, you know, can you just have a curriculum that would allow someone to become skilled enough to teach these kids how to do basic things? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, so these are the kinds of questions that that they have dealt with at the Sloyd Experience and the kinds of things that we've been thinking about too. Just how to how to pass this on, how to make a package that you can give to someone to say, here's a program that you can implement to teach these kids. Uh, these valuable skills and valuable um life lessons really.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting thinking about that being at handworks too because uh we had a guy stopping by our booth and I can't remember he said something like I'm 60 years old. Mm-hmm. And I realized that it's this is one of the rare events that I am much higher than the average age. He yeah. said usually he's one of the he's youngest guys. He's usually one of
0: the youngest guys at woodworking shows, which is true you know the average age is is often in the upper 60s uh low 70s and and he's like i'm actually one of the oldest people here yeah
1: a bunch of young people so it's just interesting thinking about this this need and desire people are feeling i need to learn how to use my hands again and then to look at this thing a hand tool only event and it's a bunch of young enthusiastic people who are trying to say how can i get into my the local school and teach Mm -hmm. these kids and how can I make stuff with my friends and so it's not it's not a fading thing. Yeah. (laughs) Hand tools are not dead, right? They're not it's not a a memory that's we're just trying to hold on to and say, that was such a great thing. Yeah. Um anyone who's been who's had you know their ear to what developments have been in woodworking know that hand tools are going they're not going away at all.
0: Yeah. And uh as we said at this time, the time of this recording, issue 15, if you're a subscriber, is either out the door coming towards you or will be out the door within hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but for for my article on issue 15, I um, part of the article was I interviewed a toolmaker in the UK named Dave Budd, who he was talking about this resurgence that he has seen in the UK. And he says it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. Uh, and his sense is that within... Fifteen or twenty years that most people, and of course he may have a biased opinion. <laughs> uh, he he believes that most people will have some sort of hand skill or some sort of a uh, craft practice that they uh, that they dive into. Like he, that's the the shift he's seen. He's been you know around making tools since the the '80s, but he sees that more and more and more people are taking this up as something valuable for themselves, good for their mental health, good for a a good use of their time and valuable skills to learn. They just find so much more f- more fulfillment in learning hand skills and making things with their hands than they do, you know, any other random hobbies or just wasting time online. Like the, people are realizing more and more it's a waste and so they want to do something that is not a waste. And so they're turning to these practices from the past, which are still relevant.
1: Mm -hmm. And so we, yeah, there were so many interesting, uh, inspiring people there. We were, our booth was right next to Jordan Goodwin. Yes. uh, Our friend who's a blacksmith makes amazing, gorgeous tools, uh, replicating antique examples, very inspired by 18th century blacksmithing, which is arguably the pinnacle of American blacksmithing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Jordan is, deep into this stuff. He's a
0: scholar. He Uh, is. He's not just a maker, you know, he, he was pulling quotes out of thin air about all these different things. It was great.
1: Yeah. Um, Around the campfire, we were hanging out with them uh, on several occasions in the evenings and around the campfire, he's reading from an 1860s book that's critiquing, uh, you know, a a farmer's grindstone and you can tell a man's character by his grindstone and it's just, you know, like this is Jordan's world. He's just like soaking this stuff up and he's, he's in it deep. Um, and he just does amazing work, really amazing work. So it's cool to see, um, all the stuff that, uh, he and his buddies had there, all these gorgeous tools, this workbench, uh, just really inspiring to, to see so much engagement. Now he, they had a workbench there and they were, Jordan was teaching people planing and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, uh, at our booth, we were right next to them. We didn't have any of that stuff. We couldn't travel with our tools and our workbenches. Right. So that was I was really thankful to have that right next to us, someone who was able to drive with all their tools and show yep. things because we were standing.
0: yeah, exactly. And so further down the row, we had uh, Dan Schwank and Red Rose reproductions. Mm-hmm. And then beyond him was Jason Lawnon, mm-hmm. who also makes beautiful tools. And so it, you know, this is just a, a snapshot of our corner yeah. of the the Greenwood barn tent outside of the barn. The, the,
1: one of the tents. One of the tents. Yeah.
0: Um, and, you know, people coming by and all of these makers had tools there that you could use and try out and, you know, there are shavings all over the floor. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, so great to see not just the, um, the tools themselves, but people using them and wanting to try them and, uh, and seeing how they work. Now on our other side, kind of across the way, um, we had someone that we've corresponded with for a long time, but never have met in face-to-face, mm-hmm. which, which actually describes a lot of these interactions. Yeah,
1: Dan Raber at Colonial yeah. Homestead. Um, Dan has been stalking Mortis and Tenen. I'm trying to think of I when I think he
0: from issue one. Issue or, one or, or issue two. two or something like that. I mean, he certainly stalked issue one yep. eventually, but I, maybe he came on around issue two yeah. and stalked all the old issues.
1: Yeah, somewhere around there, so in 2016. So we've had you know regular interactions with him over the years. Um, and you know Colonial Homestead is a destination. Yeah, you know, we we have not yet personally been there, but everybody who's been there is like, holy smokes, this guy's yeah. got tons and tons and tons of stuff going on. Antique tools everywhere. It's just super. uh What would be the right word? Enterprising. I mean, he's yes. just like he yeah. does not slow down. Every time yeah. you talk to him, he's he's, he's he's great. He's like a networker. He's always like, hey, you should talk to this guy because yeah. I he really is into this, and we should get a timber framing thing going, and you can. Mm-hmm. Whoa, man! Do you sleep? Yeah, he is so inspiring. So, we were by Dan, um, and his crew, and it was just uh, yeah. They're
0: they're based in Central Ohio, in case you are in that area, um, uh, Millersburg, Ohio. Yeah, Colonial Homestead. Um, so right, so they're on that side, and they brought, you know, a van load of antique tools. Uh, that's why. Uh, you know that in my mind is the main reason why Colonial Homestead is a destination because yep. they are an amazing source for antique tools. And Dan's philosophy is that he's not selling to collectors. He wants people to use these tools. He's mm-hmm. he's selling examples that are good to go for the next hundred years. You yeah. know he wants um, he wants them to be used. He's ha- he's got a lot of. Um, there's a lot of deep thinking and pondering that goes behind his motivations for all the things he's doing, mm-hmm. right? So, Joshua, as you're saying, enterprising, right? So he's he's been doing, uh, like, timber frame kits, and now he offers a workbench kits, like the most stout workbenches <laughs> you've ever seen. These massively framed workbenches that you can buy as a kit from him. Uh, he's been doing uh, chairs, uh, Windsor chairs. He's been doing classes. Uh, Mm -hmm. so they offer a number of classes through Colonial Homestead and, um, even from things as basic as sharpening to, I think they're, they're even starting to, to dabble in blacksmithing and things like that. But,
1: um, I think what's, what was so, uh, overwhelming to me to realize is, um, so we were there for two days, two full days of talking to people. And it was always several people deep. There were just people mm-hmm. everywhere. It was hard to get through. you know. It was just And so all day long, just people, people, people lined up all over the place. And you know, at booths, talking to people and waiting in line to be able to get a book or to have a conversation or ask a question. And so there was all this going on. And so we were just, I mean, I lost my voice yeah. within five hours yeah. or something, the first both day.
0: evenings we we sounded like we had frogs in our throats. Yeah,
1: so it's lots of lemon and and honey and lemon yeah. water and stuff like that. But so we were so drowning people. But it was fascinating because afterwards, I was talking with Mike. You know, I said, um, "How many people?" Did you make a pitch to? Right. How many people did you explain what mortise and tenon is about, or why to use hand tools or whatever? Yeah, and he said none, nobody. And I said one. <laughs> one person came up and said, "So what do you guys do?" Yeah. Everybody else said, "Oh my goodness, hand tools! Yeah. Hand tools are where it's at." I have all your books. I have all this kind of stuff. I'm like, and everybody was just like all in on this stuff, and I'm so used to woodworking shows, you know, right next to the the, the router jig thing and the, all the glues and all the whatever yeah. and there's us.
0: Yeah. With our, <laughs> our, our with hand little... tool publication and we have to make a case. You know, we're like, we're, we're pilgrims there <laughs> yeah. and we're like, here's why our thing is is uh, relevant in the sea of of machinery that surrounds
1: us. Yeah, and people are walking up with their arms crossed yeah they're trying like, not to get so, their shavings yeah, on, on them I, they're like,
0: ah, I've used know. a hand plane before but I'm not stupid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah.
1: so, so that's what we're used to at woodworking shows. We're like, no, no, no. Hand tools are fun and they're enjoyable and mm-hmm. they're pretty efficient when you use them. You know, that uh, we didn't here, have
0: to make the case
1: here. We were hanging out with a bunch of evangelists. Yeah, exactly. They were already and uh, you know excited about it and and propagating it further anyway. So it's yeah. just like it's just a blast. If you're interested in hand tools and you're saying like. What class should I take? I want to get connected. I don't know any other hand tool woodworkers around me. I just need to make some connections. I, I don't think you could do better than to get just get yourself to Handworks. If it happens yeah. again, go to Handworks. Start hanging out. You know, you can say like uh, different kinds of. Let's say you need a scorp. Yeah. Right. Some obscure chair making tool. You're like I've never used a scorp. I don't know yeah. what I'm looking for. I don't know how to tell when it's sharp. I don't. Know. All of those kinds of questions, you don't even have to sign up for a you know $1,200 $1, chair-making class. Yep. Just go to HandWorks. Yep, it's free. Go <laughs> have these tool makers show you how their tool works. They're all going to let you use their tools. That's what mm-hmm. they're there for. Ask questions to every woodworking author because they're all there. They're all there. At a booth to be asked questions. Uh, And it's just, it is the best place to connect with other people. You know, Um, so many people at after hours, they're all picking, where are you going to eat? Where are you going to eat? And they're all hanging out after hours and just connecting with people. And the other thing about it is it's not only, you know, you show up as a lone individual and then you try to make connections. But when we were there, it was we were blown away at how many of our apprentices were there yeah. with their apprentice t-shirts on yeah. and they had coordinated, you know, at 11 o'clock, they're all, we're all going to meet at the booth and get a big picture. And so it was, it was just so fascinating to be seeing this much uh, intentional camaraderie, this intentional, Hey, we're here for this thing. And so we're all in it together um, as a whole, but especially within our apprenticeships, uh, students, our apprentices. And it was, interesting to talk with people at the booth, you know, they're saying, how can I learn this? And, you know, yeah. what resources do you have to teach woodworking skills? And I said, well, talk to one of them. Yeah. See the this shirt. That's, the
0: apprentice t-shirts yeah, Go talk to are, them, ask
1: them what they yeah. thought of, you know, they can direct you. Uh, so it's just such an, uh, we were blown away at the whole event.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you haven't heard of the apprenticeship program, um, it's, we have this eight week online course that, Uh, takes place in in real time, but in your own shop. And so um, we go through sharpening and and, uh, stock prep and all this different joinery. And we do like a video uh, Q&A kind of thing a few times a week. And we have forums that we we're active in and all of our students are active in there. And so uh, a bunch of students from the the five terms that we've done mm-hmm. were coordinating to come and meet up at the mT booth at handworks at 11 o'clock on the friday of the show right so these these students traveled in from all over and all of a sudden at a, around 10 30 or it was earlier we started seeing some students but then all of a sudden at 11 there's just a bunch of students gathering yeah. out in front of the booth um, and you know, we had not met any of these students. Well, a few of them uh, in person them came who had to our come, summit. Yeah, come to the uh, the apprenticeship summit that we held here. But uh, most of them we had not met in person. We had just met, you know, chatted in, in the forums or um, you know in the the video question and answer stuff. Uh, so. We, we get to give them all hugs and say, how's it going? you know. Yeah. Like, it's, And, the, it's and they were all telling us about here.
1: all the projects. A lot of these people, a lot of the people who sign up for this program don't have extensive woodworking experience. Some of them do, mm-hmm. but a lot of people, uh, they're saying, I've used some hand planes a little bit. And I'm just curious about how to do this. And uh, so that's their background, right? And they right. go through the, these eight weeks and... Then you know. Fast forward to we're meeting them at Henworks, and here they are, and they're telling us about all the projects they've been doing, all the furniture they've been building. Yeah, wow! I just I can't I can't believe how these these folks have uh, taken this up and have run with it. And our emphasis in the program is that it's you know you we're trying we're setting it up so that you're you're, we're weaving it into our lives so that it's not the standalone thing that they went off and did the one week course and then they got back to real life. The whole point of the program is that they're learning how to fit it into their normal schedule right? so that they can continue, in on, continue on in the craft. And that's exactly what these folks have been doing. They've been able to build furniture and keep working it in nights and weekends and each day picking away at it and building things. So it's just been so cool to, to see how that developed. Um, I'm realizing, but we should say the website is mtapprenticeship.com. Dot com yeah if you're interested so we have right now because we're working on this 1821 house and we have all this so many irons in the fire right now um, we are running one term per year so eight weeks out of the year we're doing this yeah. and the next term is in 2024 so next year and it's the term is um, it's April and May yeah so if you jump on the website mtapprenticeship.com and put your email address in the wait list, it's not a, we don't give the email address out. You're not on a right. newsletter. Not you're not, not
0: committing to anything. You're not committing
1: yeah. to anything. If you just put your email address on there, then what that means is we will be emailing that list before anyone else giving first dibs saying, you know, the, uh, the term is open for registration. Sign up now. You have first dibs. Go. Yeah. And then after a few days, we'll publicly announce to everybody else, Hey, it's available. You know, if there are any, any slots left. So, if you are interested in the apprenticeship and you want to be the first to know of its availability, jump on mtapprenticeship.com and uh, put your email address on the wait list, and you will be notified. And so, we hope you join us. Block out time April and May um, and get your tool lists ready, get your your shop kind of organized, see what you need to, to do to get uh, committing to, you know, as we put it, cultivate craft in your life. Yeah. Because uh, it was, it blew us away to see the, the impact that um, that that when these people make this kind of discipline, they say, "I'm going to try to develop this habit, this this practice of daily working." The impact that that has is just astounding.
0: Yeah, it is. And uh, so each day was was um, both unbelievably rewarding and also exhausting. Right. Um, the one day we had uh an angel show up so lou one of our oh, apprentices, yeah. <laughs> walked by he came up with a tray and he hand us handed us each an iced coffee and we're like lou you're here we had we had no idea he'd be there yeah and he gave him to us and then he kind of disappeared he didn't
1: even say anything <laughs> <We're> like, <laughs> he just walked out. how did
0: he do that how did he, he know? just
1: showed up with coffees yeah and smiled it was amazing what a guy. And then I mean, on, I talked to them for a while afterwards, but
0: yeah, yeah, it was good to see. A lot of people came by when it was super busy, and then they they left and kind of wandered around, and fortunately came back. Um, another thing that happened that was so <laughs> it was awesome. Um, my wife arranged in advance somehow with with Ed Bovier to at a certain point in the show run to the Chocolate House and get me an iced latte and two peanut butter cups, and so I was like running out of energy. I'm getting tired. And it was hot on the second day, right? It was like 95 degrees. Mm-hmm. And Ed comes by with the ice latte and the peanut butter cups. He's like, these are from your wife. Just so you know, this is, this is from her. I'm like, oh, are you serious? And then he
1: kissed Mike on the cheek I- <laughs> and said, that is this- also from your wife. Not nope. from me.
0: Fortunately, he did not do that. <laughs> um, but it was very sweet, but it was just absolutely perfect timing. Uh, you know, for both of those gifts of iced coffee on the hot days. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was just such a rewarding um event. Uh very uh very tiring, very wonderful. Um we we left you know the the after um the event on Saturday, we had to get everything cleaned up. And so there's this big rush you know, the event ends at five and, and you've got to be out of there. So we were taken down and breaking down and Ed, uh, took the display, hopefully to be stored until the next hand works. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he loaded that in his van and we had some, uh, stuff to repalletize to send back to the warehouse. Fortunately, I didn't have to drive to Wisconsin again. Um, we just sent all that stuff back and then we were just, you know, chatting with other vendors as they cleaned up and, and getting, um, you know, talking about the future, talking about plans, talking about, Hey, yeah, we'll get in touch and figure this thing out. Mm -hmm. We had so many ideas for ways to collaborate or work together in the future. Um,
1: well, and hopefully more shows, hopefully, hopefully I think a lot of people left there saying, okay, we yeah. got to get these woodworking shows do this going again regularly. There are some that are going, um, but I think I want to see these things picked up. I want to see yeah. more gatherings happening again because everybody was just so pumped and so helped yeah. by it.
0: Yeah, I I feel like you know we've had this this promise uh, kind of foisted upon us of the how the metaverse is going to be great and like digital is the way for like digital meetings and digital digital you knew it would not be an
1: MT podcast unless (laughs) we started trashing technology yeah
0: well not all technology (laughs) just the dehumanizing kind um but we were we were told like this is the way forward like we're going to have these virtual events like a virtual hand tool symposium a virtual meetup right we've now come to realize that that doesn't hold a candle to real life right Mm -hmm. we all see how unfulfilling those kinds of things are to see someone from like the the neck up with a fake background is not being with that person in real life Mm -hmm. and so this event really cemented that um i think for everyone who was there like real is is what we need yeah, and
1: real is the future.
0: <laughs> the future is real.
1: <laughs> the future is real.
0: Uh,
1: well, anyways, yeah. uh, thank you for letting us share that because yeah. uh, it was such a blast. And we look forward to seeing you at the next Henworks event because mm-hmm. you will not miss it. You yeah. can't miss it. Henworks 2025. You got a plan for it. Uh, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Mortise and Tenon podcast. If you haven't already, you can subscribe where you get your podcasts, uh, please also leave a review if you uh, can do that for us. We'd greatly appreciate it. You can leave questions or comments on our blog or on SoundCloud or wherever you can leave comments. Uh, we'd be happy to uh, to get back to you. Uh, so thanks for listening.